Welcome back to Inside the Boardroom, a podcast from the Carlson School of Management at the University of Minnesota. I'm Jamie Plusser, the Assistant Dean for Marketing and Communications. In this series, our goal is to bring you thoughts, ideas, inspiration, and points of view from business leaders and academic leaders from Minnesota and beyond. This episode features a conversation between Sri Zahir, Dean of the Carlson School, and Craig Samet, President and CEO of Blue Cross and Blue Shield of Minnesota. In their discussion, Samet talks about the future of the healthcare industry and how those changes could impact consumers. Let's listen in. Thank you for joining us today for a virtual First Tuesday event. It's our third such virtual event already. But before introducing our speaker for the day, I do want to say thank you to those alumni and friends who have been regular attendees over these 28 years and also welcome those joining us for the first time today. I also want to acknowledge Wells Fargo, who's been our long-standing sponsor of the first Tuesday speaker series. Thank you. Here's our format for today. After introducing our speaker, Craig Samet, who's the president and CEO of Blue Cross and Blue Shield of Minnesota, he will present for about 30 minutes and then I will ask him a few questions of my own before turning to you for your questions. But first, let me tell you more about Craig. Dr. Samet oversees the state's first and largest health plan in its mission to promote a wider, more economical, and timely available of health services for the people of Minnesota. An internal medicine physician by training, he has worked across multiple healthcare sectors. His senior leadership experience includes serving as an executive vice president at Anthem, partner and global provider practice leader at Oliver Wyman, president and CEO of Healthcare Partners, and president and CEO of Dean Health System Inc. in Madison, Wisconsin. He currently serves on a number of boards in Minnesota and across the United States. So for nearly 25 years, Craig has been a nationally recognized expert and true thought leader on healthcare delivery and policy. His record of collaborating across the healthcare system to deliver high quality care at a lower cost led to him being named as one of the 50 most influential physician executives and leaders by Modern Healthcare in 2018. He holds an undergraduate degree from Tufts University, a medical degree from Columbia University, and if all that wasn't enough, he also has an MBA from the Wharton School of Business. With that, Craig, thanks for joining us, and the floor is yours. Thank you very much, Dean. Uh, uh, good afternoon um, to the entire Carlson School and your alumni and all the participants. It's truly an honor to participate today. So let's see if I can um, meet the first task, which is to share my screen. Um, Okay, so can you see the screen, Dean, so that I know that I'm in the right place? I can see it. Okay, perfect, thank you. Um, so the first thing that I would say, let me share a couple of things about me. First is uh, in usual TED Talk fashion, I'm not one to bore you with slides that have a lot of words on them. So um, I will keep my remarks to the 20 minutes as requested. Uh, but what you will see, this is essentially the only slide with words on it, are just a series of images. And it probably is more of a prompt for me than it is for all of you. But hopefully these images can evoke some of the messages and the lessons that I've learned and some of the things that I would want to convey. 
Um, so let me uh, jump right in uh, and talk about lessons. Uh, as I'm sure is the case for all of you, this has been a heart-wrenching, painful, and unprecedented time for us. Um, I know that there was nothing that was taught to me in any of my education uh, in the leadership or CEO playbook uh, that prepares us for a time of true crisis. And frankly, a time of not just one, but three intertwining crises, clinical and economic um, and social. Um, so I will be the first to say this has been very hard. Uh, this has been hard for us personally. This has been hard for our organizations. This has been hard for our community. And yet, the other thing that I've learned is how incredibly proud I am uh, to be in Minnesota. Um, I uh, have joined, uh, it seems like, hundreds of calls, uh, certainly many of them Zoom calls since March. Uh, and every time I leave those calls, I understand what is meant by a Minnesota that rallies. Um, I'm proud. I'm proud of um, the unification that I've seen, uh, the alignment from provider to provider and provider to payer and business to business, um, from public to private. And I think what also has made me proud is we've, yes, we've spoken up, but more importantly, we've stood up and we've acted often in lockstep to first address the COVID crisis and now uh, to address the uh, social injustice of following the tragic murder of George Floyd. And then most certainly understanding how we address the real need and the opportunity for us to uh, bring our community back to life economically. Um, one more thing that I would share about me that you should know before we go forward, um, and I didn't learn this here, I learned this before I came to Minnesota, is I think healthcare needs to be healed. I am a doctor uh, who believes that healthcare is broken. I am a, certainly a health plan CEO that believes that healthcare is broken. Um, and um, I've shared publicly that, unfortunately, I lost a parent in the midst of the COVID crisis. And so I am a caregiver um, and in many respects a patient that believes that healthcare is broken. Um, and I, I don't want to dwell on that um, at this point, except to say that um, COVID did not break healthcare. And the George Floyd murder did not break healthcare. It was broken before. I, I have always thought that our industry was ripe for disruption, um, that given it was broken, something would change us. I've long been an advocate that, that healthcare has always had the opportunity to reinvent itself from the inside out. And in fact, that is the very essence of our strategy of Blue Cross. How can we instigate toward and lead toward a better healthcare system? Um, however, I thought that disruption would come from Amazon or Walmart or Google 
or um, or some other external force that if we could not change ourselves, then someone would change us. Uh, but I honestly didn't think that it would be a pandemic that would actually give us the opportunity to change and to really address what's been broken in our industry. So let me point out um, some of my observations that have come from the pandemic. Um, I think that the crises have exposed our weaknesses. I think the weaknesses existed before, but I think we now recognize a lot of the inadequacies that our industry has had. Um, first and foremost, I'll talk about convenience, uh, how easy has it been to access healthcare? Um, Blue Cross, as you know, is a nonprofit organization whose mission is to assure that patients everywhere in Minnesota have access to high quality, affordable, service-oriented, convenient healthcare for everyone, not just for some of Minnesotans, not just for many Minnesotans, but everyone. And so when we think about our industry historically, how convenient have we been? Um, we measure uh, something called the net promoter score, uh, which I would imagine that many of you have heard of uh, and know what that is. In essence, it's, it's, it's counting all the folks who think positively of, or, of your organization, minus all of those that think negatively of your organization. And I'll share with you that historically, and this isn't just in Minnesota, but historically, a net promoter score is, and the reality is a net promoter score can be as high as 100 or as low as minus 100. But healthcare has been where you see it here that we hover close to zero. Um, it, uh, it, it hasn't been a leader. And I think we don't recognize how distinct we are until we compare ourselves to other industries. So let me put up a well-known organization that many of us know and love. Um, Costco. So Costco with an app promoter score of 79 really highlights the fact that our industry has historically been not very convenient and we've seen that in the midst of this crisis. The second thing that I would point out here is, is that healthcare has historically not been equitable. COVID and social injustice um, did not break that. It was broken. Um, and you don't need to understand the details necessarily of this graphic, but only to reflect the fact that this represents uh, health outcomes comparisons from market to market and region to region in the state. And what is even more remarkable is while we on average, um, when we compare the quality of healthcare to other states in the nation, we're, we're in the top five. Um, I remember when I was in Wisconsin uh, and Wisconsin was number two in the nation in quality. I looked over jealously at Minnesota because Minnesota was number one and it was sort of between Minnesota and, and New Hampshire. Um, we've fallen a bit since then. So we're fourth or fifth in the nation from a quality standpoint. But when we look under the covers or we double click at the whether healthcare is equitable, we find that we have some of the greatest disparities in the country. Um, and just imagine if we could address those inequities and those disparities, what ranking we would be on average from a quality standpoint in the nation. And healthcare was broken before as it relates to cost. Um, in 2019, 
the total cost of care in Minnesota went up year over year by 9%. Um, and on, on, on average, that may not sound like a lot. However, I would point out that was triple the national average in cost inflation in 2019. So we are on an unsustainable trajectory. And to further underscore the concerns about this, this slide represents 20 years of price changes in the United States ending in 2018. And you can see where the costs of healthcare services fare versus the inflationary trends for just about everything else. So we have been in a position where our trajectory is unsustainable. Um, from a convenience, from an equity and quality, and from a cost standpoint, we have work to do. And then finally, what I would share is the crisis has really exposed uh, the challenges with our addiction to volume-based healthcare. Um, we have worked off of a chassis of fee-for-service healthcare for certainly for my entire lifetime. And I think in times when uh, it is not safe for us to use the traditional model of healthcare, to use a facility model of healthcare, um, or frankly, another way that I would put it is what if our society were truly well and that we focused on prevention and people did not get sick? That is obviously a challenge for the health systems that we trust and rely upon when we do get sick. And so the model of volume driven healthcare. Uh, and the reality that this ad, which was published by Mount Sinai uh, in the New York Times, is the exact opposite of the world we've lived in. Um, the broken nature of our industry is, is that uh, we have wanted, we profit off of sickness. We haven't profited off of wellness. And from my point of view, that is backwards. So, um, I'm going to stop the rearview mirror criticism now because I very much see myself as a glass half full type of person um, and reflect on the fact that this talk is very much about silver linings. Um, what I worry about is that um, we get past the today of these crises and we go back to yesterday. And that we don't recognize the fact that there are things to learn about what we've been through and recognition of our challenges that we now have an opportunity to reinvent healthcare from the inside out. And most certainly, I came to Minnesota because I want us to be the health, best healthcare state in the nation in all respects, quality, convenience, affordability, and equity. And we have the opportunity to lead. Um, so why this photo? I'm always looking for good stories to reference regarding silver linings. Um, this is New Delhi, uh, and this is New Delhi today. And I tried to find the same exact shot from six months ago, but I couldn't. But the reality is, is what you see beyond New Delhi uh, in the background are the, uh, I've, I'm told the correct, correct pronunciation is the Himalayas, Himalayas. This is the first time in a century that people in New Delhi can see the Himalayas. So for us, what should we need, see now that we haven't seen before that gives us the opportunity to really move forward and advance? So we're at the point where 
we need to make the choice. Um, we can stay where we are. We can go back to yesterday, or we can go to what I would describe as the day after tomorrow. Um, so I'm dating myself by showing this slide. Um, for those who know it, it's the Minority Report. The Minority Report was essentially all about, well, if you knew what the future would hold, what would you change today that would position you better for success? I feel like that's where we're at uh, in our transition now. And for those who don't know it, this is Tom Cruise. Uh, he was a famous actor in his day. So we have a choice. And I very much in business school focused on the lessons learned from other industries and how to apply them to healthcare. Um, and when we have choices, I do wonder whether we should follow the lead of other industries and where they may have failed. Um, and so this organization on your slide, uh, you may have known that in the year 2000, I believe it was, this organization had the opportunity to buy another organization for $50 million. But the Blockbuster CEO thought it was a joke and so passed on the opportunity and focused instead on business as usual and the status quo. What was that organization that Blockbuster had the opportunity to buy in the year 2000? Netflix. That is where I believe that we're at. And the rest of my remarks now are very much about those silver linings. And it's very much about what I would call what if statements. What if the day after tomorrow was X? So let me start here. I'm hunkering back to my past when I was at Dean Health System. What if all the various parts of our health system didn't work in opposition or in silos and we got outside of our lane and we truly worked in lockstep? Hospitals, doctors, health plans, patients, regulators, legislators, community agencies. Um, what if we were aligned around a common purpose? What if we were incented to keep people well, keep people healthy, protect them, prevent illness, create a sustainable system? And the reason I show that slide is when I was in Wisconsin, that was the model that we had. We were an integrated delivery system. We were rewarded for population health. We were a population health company. And the reason why this is so remarkable to me is that I was in Wisconsin, I was at Dean, in 2008 during the, the financial crisis. And I remember that that was the last time that hospital beds were significantly empty, not because of a clinical crisis, but because people could not afford to pay co-payments or deductibles or out-of-pocket expenses to receive healthcare. So they stopped using healthcare. And I remember somewhat similarly, it's not nearly as bad as it is during COVID now, but at that time, systems were really struggling, but our system was not because our system was rewarded for health and wellness and was a system that really allowed us to weather the peaks and valleys of, of health, um, which naturally goes up and down over time. So what if the day after tomorrow involved organizations working in partnership. Um, you may have seen that 
Um, late last year, Kevin Croston and I announced the partnership between uh, North Memorial and Blue Cross Blue Shield of Minnesota to create what we've called Blaze Health. Um, and this, this wasn't so foreign, except for the fact it may be relatively foreign in this marketplace, or it was an example of two organizations that had historically worked at counter purposes or in opposition to one another, saying that we're going to come together and we're going to reinvent the future. And so this wasn't about Blue Cross getting into the hospital business or North getting into the health plan business. This was about us co-creating what we thought would be a better way for patients and a better way for our community. Um, so let me pivot here. I wanna be cognizant of the time. What if the day after tomorrow allowed patients to get an actual taste of a care delivery model that was more convenient, more contemporary, um, more like the way, frankly, we access other industries. Um, I should share a, a story. One of our Medicare members from Northern Minnesota wrote us a letter about how increased access to telemedicine helped her family overcome the challenges of a geographically dispersed healthcare. In 2019, she and her husband drove more than 12,000 miles, 12,000 miles to and from medical appointments, with some visits requiring a 400-mile round trip. So with telemedicine, the couple now can see specialists from all over the state right from their home, their living room or their, um, um, their bedroom, and still have orders, lab tests, images administered locally just miles from their home. Um, I get asked all the time, how do I feel about the future of health, telehealth? Um, I've used this slide in my presentations for five years because the opportunity to, for us to pivot to a more contemporary, nimble, uh, easier, perhaps sometimes more cost-effective alternative uh, is long overdue in our industry. Um, can we imagine if we were unable to do telebanking and we were asked to just go to the teller uh, in the bank uh, whenever we needed to do banking? What other industry that we live in doesn't rely upon technological advancements like this? And I wanted to share with you the sort of the degree of magnitude that telehealth has grown um, just within the course of the last three months. Um, so I'll, I'll start with the fact that before, so in 2019, 99% um, of all of the visits that Blue Cross Minnesota paid for with providers uh, were face-to-face, -face, uh, underscoring the fact that 1% were virtual. But note that now, just in the last four months, we have generated a million telehealth visits um, compared to 65,000 telehealth visits uh, that were claimed uh, over the course of the entire year in 2019. That is, in essence, a 100-fold increase. Now, I don't know whether we're going to you know, shift from 99.1 1 
to 199. I don't necessarily believe that that's what the day after tomorrow will hold. But what if the day after tomorrow looks like this? What if we essentially say we shouldn't go back to the way things were? Telehealth isn't for everything, um, but there are many things that we've gotten in a car um, to have a service that may not need to be done face-to-face. -face. So maybe the future is 40% face-to-face, 30% virtual. And I would also point out the fact that maybe we want to see the return of a new care delivery model that is back in our homes. Uh, because we are fearful, there is risk, there is convenience, there are transportation barriers. Uh, and maybe the future of healthcare looks a little bit more like, to some degree, the past of healthcare from a house call perspective. And I'd go further to say, what if the future of healthcare looked like this? Um, what if in the home, we actually could conduct telehealth visits right within our TV screen securely and safely, and many uh, services were conducted there. Um, what if, uh, you know, the irony, I've also used this slide for several years now, um, that we had home delivery of groceries uh, and um, our care delivery partners um, would very much want to remind us what the healthy alternatives were. And what if in the lower right, we had Alexa alternatives to serve as a triage mechanism so that if we had simple questions, we didn't have to wait for a phone call um, for minutes or hours uh, to get our answers. And what if uh, Livio is Blue Cross uh, Minnesota's care delivery partner? What if care became mobile? So what if someone brought care to you in the home? What if it was always available? What if it was the whole person, not just clinical, but social and emotional? What if it was cheaper? What if it were easier to use? What if we saw the return of a modern house call? So I'm almost finished here. What if we truly looked at healthcare through the lens of prevention? We use this expression, an ounce of prevention is worth a pound of cure. In every other industry, we put in place steps so that mail doesn't get lost, there are no airline adverse events, money doesn't get deposited in the wrong account, we're not injured because we have airbags, seat belts, bike helmets, life preservers, smoke detectors. So what if we similarly did things that caught cancer early, prevented heart disease or pulmonary disease, um, truly address the ways that mental health affects our physical health, what if we were in the wellness business, not in the sickness business? What if there was as much health in healthcare as there was care? And what if that also included the reality that racial inequities and social inequities and social determinants of health like food insecurity or like housing affordability what if our definition of wellness and prevention was inclusive of all the things that we could do that we know when we really address and, and fix them and solve for them, that we actually create a healthy environment for all Minnesotans? What if we pay for social care as we would pay for health care 
because we believe that an ounce of prevention truly is worth a pound of cure. What if all of this were in the ounce? And so what if the day after tomorrow, the care team that we've historically thought of is complemented by another care team? Um, and I, uh, I had some fun coming up with some new specialist titles. Um, but what if we had a preventionalist whose role was truly to help us stay out of trouble and to make sure that we got all of our wellness um, efforts completed? What if there was a residentialist who was actually the one who delivered modern home calls? What if there was house calls? What if there was a navigist who essentially helped us navigate a complex health system because otherwise we have to manage it ourselves, either for ourselves or for our loved ones who are sick, because it's fragmented? What if Alexa's involved? What if there's a handy person to make sure that our homes are safe? What if Geek Squad came to make sure that we had access to telehealth? What if, what if, what if? Um, I think we can do this. We've done many things in COVID time. We can do this too. Um, and I would, I would argue that we have the opportunity and the obligation to see the silver linings in what we've been through and really address them. And if we don't go to the day after tomorrow and we go back to yesterday, I worry that we should be, a, be we should beware. <laughs> um, I have always believed that we can reinvent healthcare from the inside out. Although there are many that would seek to reinvent healthcare from the outside in. Um, and all we have to do is look at the slide to recognize that these opportunities or these challenges by disruptive innovators have changed numerous other industries over the course of the last many years. And I would predict without any doubt that if we don't change ourselves and go to a day after tomorrow, that we will be forced to stay where we are or go back to yesterday. And then um, just one more slide, and it's a story that I love to tell, and I, hopefully several of you have not heard this story yet. Um, because I do give this talk about the future, and often there are disbelievers about the world changing uh, as an argument to stay where we are or to go back. So this is the story of the Choloteca Bridge. The Choloteca Bridge is in Honduras. Um, it was the 150th bridge built in Honduras, and it was the most stable and the most modern of all of the bridges. But in 1998, Hurricane Mitch blew through Hon Honduras, destroying 149 of their bridges, but not the Choloteca Bridge. The Choloteca Bridge stands today as it was built. However, this bridge suffered the greatest indignity of all of the bridges. Which is that the river moved, making the bridge obsolete. So when we think that our world should stay the same, we should go back to yesterday, we should stay in today. Um, this is a story that change happens around us and change happens to us and we should embrace the opportunity to bring Minnesota to a place of the best healthcare in the nation. Uh, Dean, I believe that's all I have for you, so I'm going to stop 
sharing. Well, <clears throat> thank you, Craig. That I'll was, hand it back to you. That was so inspiring. I love the story of the Chiloteca Bridge. I'm going to you know, steal it from you if you don't mind. <laughs> of course, anytime. Steal any of the slides. That's such a great, such a great story. But, you know, I think there's, uh, there's a bunch of great questions in the Q&A as well, and I will try and get to them too. But I think, uh, you know, you said that it's, you know, we want an actual taste of a more convenient, more contemporary, uh, you know, medicine, which is uh, more like other industries. And, you know, clearly what, you know, you're so, uh, you know, this acceleration of the use of telehealth has been, you know, very interesting. It's been acceleration in so many industries in the use of technology. And it's, you know, we see that in education, clearly you're seeing that in healthcare you know, what is the role? I mean, in, in, in this kind of a situation, you know, how, how soon do you expect this transformation to occur? Is this something that is, you know, going to happen very quickly, do you think, as we, you know, thanks to COVID, or will we go back to the state of affairs? How, 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 is, how is the ecosystem primed to absorb some of these uh, innovations that, uh, that uh, you know, that, that clearly will be beneficial? I mean, I, I would say that I think some of the things will happen a whole lot quicker than others, but I'm a big believer in, I'm sure that many of your audiences read The Tipping Point, and I'm a big believer that industries uh, and our reliance on traditions can change on a dime. Um, and I think if we, if we even look at sort of the use of Uber uh, as really as such a dramatic and quick evolution of the transportation business from what it was to what it is. Um, we could very well argue, especially as it pertains to telehealth, that we'll, we'll see a bigger pivot. Mm -hmm. That said, I think that our industry has been very resistant to change. We haven't been very inventive. Um, and I think both as, as physicians, I, I, I wear three hats. I'm a physician, I'm a health plan executive, and I'm a patient. Um, and I think collectively wearing all three hats, we're sort of resistant to change, uh, or we believe that healthcare isn't like every other industry and that we shouldn't change and that we won't change. Um, and my point here is that we should change. And I think we should change fast. I, um, I worry that the trajectory that we're on either, you know, we've seen the concerns and the challenges with racial injustice and health inequities. Um, you know, the, the, um, the Medicare trust defund is sort of, it doesn't have an indefinite amount of resources. So healthcare isn't affordable uh, under the historical model for very long. So I, while I recognize that we're resistant to change, I would hope that we will move faster in making some of these changes. I also think that we have a window of opportunity. I, I worry that if we even get cold feet and that we buckle when we've got this golden opportunity and we even just begin to make a move toward yesterday that we will hold ourselves up for another decade um it's very rare that major disruptive forces like we've seen create an immediate tipping point uh it's it's a it's a burning platform and i think we should take that burning platform and do something with it and do it fast you know, this never waste a crisis. I think that's uh, very much right. the message that you're giving us. Uh, there have been some very good questions already related to this, you know, change and the 
role of other parts of the healthcare system? You know, what's the role of pharma and med device companies? And what can the, you know, you know, what about the federal government and state governments? And what's the role of government in this? I mean, is would you be making these changes without sort of, uh, uh, you know, the Medicare interventions or, you know, whatever it is that, the, you know, the, 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 uh, you know, what's the role of government in all of this? Love to hear from you from that. Well, there are two things that I would say. One is I think, trans, I think reinvention of healthcare is a team sport. Okay. Um, I don't, I don't think any individual component, any stakeholder or any provider or any, any entity for that matter can influence the degree of change that we need to see. And I think the world that I came from highlights the fact that when you do get hospitals, doctors, pharma, patients, health plans, social service agencies, and we're all ar aligned around a common purpose. In fact, when we have discussions with organizations that we want to partner with, we start with, do we have a common purpose? Do we all agree that the future destination is um, convenient, high quality, affordable healthcare? Uh, and if, if that's the objective, then let's change the dashboards. Let's change the scorecards. Let's change the incentives. And let's get everyone together and on the same page. Um, and I, I think I think that's an order. So I, I don't I don't think it it can be one organization. That being said, um, I think the other thing that reinvention takes is bravery. And I'm not sure I've seen a lot of bravery in healthcare. Um, I think even a bold leader, a bold organization, a bold community um, that says we're going to prove that reinvention is possible and we're going to do whatever it takes to be first. Um, sometimes those brave organizations can change the world. Um, and uh, and I, I, I remember I was also a dean when the ACA passed and I got lots of questions and I'm not I'm not wading into any political territory here, but I got lots of um, um, questions about uh, how the Supreme Court's decision about the ACA would affect our organization when I was in Wisconsin. And my answer was frankly, it really doesn't matter because if we reinvent ourselves, we become a better organization, we focus on the patients, we come up with a far better model then there really isn't anything that would necessarily stop us from being brave and creating something new. And so while on the one hand, and, it, and my messages may be contradictory, I recognize this as a team sport. I also recognize that, that someone needs to have the vision to drive change and to facilitate the others. Right, so it's, you know, I think there's some, um, uh, you have some very, very interesting points, especially about this whole thing being a, team sport and that everybody has to play their part in both bringing care, you know, healthcare costs down, making it more convenient, making it more access, accessible and so on. Is there a role for big data and analytics, especially because, you know, we in, in, in our school are very interested in how analytics can change the nature of health, uh, you know, uh, how we do healthcare and maybe make it more uh, effective, efficient, convenient, all of that. So I'm just wondering, are, are you folks investing in analytics and big data? How, what do you see as both the promise and any uh, anything we could watch out for? 
we can't get there fast enough. Uh, this is, you know, if not the number one thing on the list of contemporary industries, uh, it's certainly within the top five. Um, and I, um, I was on a medical alley call earlier today, and I shared the fact that, you know, when I went to business school, I sat there for two years listening to case studies about the best companies in the world. And not once did I hear a case study about a healthcare company. But you hear a lot of stories about other industries that very much focused on consumer centricity and data analytics and process re-engineering um, and you know incentives and a lot of the things that you know uh, that have made many renowned companies what they are today data is very much on the list what other industry would say we're not going to unify data we're going to hoard data we're not going to create the vehicles to look at a whole person how do we transform from sick care to whole person health without having all of the data elements to understand in a protected and safe way with that data, because we want to keep it secure, but how better we, we need all that information to make good decisions about wellness and prevention. And I would point to the fact that why is it that the banking industry could somehow find a way to keep information safe uh, and to connect every ATM in the country and to get us our information wherever we are, whether it's at an ATM or whether it's online. Um, why is it that that industry can do that and healthcare cannot? So I, I think that big data is essential, it's foundational, and we've even seen it in the midst of the COVID crisis. If we had perfect information that again was protected and safe, we probably would be a whole lot more effective at contact tracing um, and a true preventive strategy to resolve the crisis more quickly. Great points, uh, Craig. I think I just, I will just ask you one last question, which is <clears throat> strategically, if you wanted to do you know, we, you mentioned that Minnesota was one of the worst in terms of racial disparities in healthcare. And if there was, say, one or two things that you would hope to see implemented quickly, is there, a, is there something that BC uh, Blue Cross Blue Shield is thinking of doing to uh, facilitate this process? Is, are there suggestions that we could uh, take from you on this? You know, I, I think as we always have, we have an opportunity to rally. I would hope that everyone in the state wants us to be the number one healthcare state. Uh, who would not want that? Um, and my question and my challenge and my charge to everyone is let's rally together um, not to only uh, address challenges when we become sick, but let's rally together to truly keep our community well. Um, so I would argue that we need a we need an effort to look at um, wellness strategies, well-being strategies, mental health, prevention, racial injustice, social determinants of health. Um, again, if we use the the moniker um, an ounce of prevention is worth a pound of cure, I had too much time on my hands and I did the math. 16 ounces in a pound. For every $10 million that we work together to rally to focus on wellness and prevention, 
we would save $160 million in sickness or death or expense or low value care that would no longer be needed and necessary because our community was truly healthy. So that would be my hope and my ask of the community and that we should sort of set our differences down and recognize that there is a unified approach to transform healthcare in the state. Great, Craig. I know there are tons of questions on in, in the quick Q&A uh, and chat uh, groups, and I've tried to sort of uh, pull some of those into the questions that I've asked. But if there are things that you're, you know, please do raise your hand and we will try and see if we can uh, get you to actually, uh, you know, so you'll be unmuted and we can try and see if we can actually get to ask the question. If not, I will continue to you know, to uh, tr try and summarize from what we see. Cherie, yeah. we do have one question and we have a couple questions coming in on our raise the hand. So Marcy Lundquist, I'm gonna uh, unmute you and if you'd like to ask your question. Marcy, go ahead. And Marcy, you need to unmute yourself on your end as well. Thank you. If you were able to have um, the opportunity to uh, make any particular innovation, um, either in helping people with nutrition or lifestyle um, situations, what do you feel would be the most important thing to help people stay healthy? Uh, what an awesome question. Um, I should share a quick story. Um, uh, before I'm on the Habitat for Humanity board here, uh, but I was on the United Way of Dane County board in Madison when I was there. And I sort of asked a similar question because we were focused on so many great community causes. And I'm a very linear thinker. And I would say, well, which one should we start with? <laughs> so if we could pick the one um, that would influence all else, what would it be? Um, and I, I think that I would have to pick economic security. I mean, because I, I very much believe that, you know, on average, we're an excellent healthcare state. So some of our greatest healthcare quality state, so some of our greatest opportunities uh, are to improve the average quality in the health of the state is to address health disparities and racial injustice. And so, and I, if I were to think linearly, I would say that economic disparities lead to housing insecurities, lead to food insecurities. Uh, so I think that's the one that I would likely focus on first, but it's really hard because they're all interrelated and one could equally argue that um, housing insecurity, if we solve for that, we would address income disparities and then we could address food disparities. So a really difficult question. Um, I think the more important thing is that we have the opportunity to test that now. Um, and um, a charge that I would again make is, you know, let's unify and begin to solve true problems in the industry. I'll give you an example. Um, every healthcare system and health plan in this state touches every Minnesotan. 
what if we were to say um, we're no longer going to um, create any environment where any patient needs to go to an emergency room because they're hungry, that we would address childhood and adult um, food insecurities uh, to avoid unnecessary healthcare utilization because people don't have access to food. Could we solve that problem together? Could a bunch of different organizations um, look even at a singular community and say, if we rally together to address all the social determinants and wellness and prevention, can we demonstrate that an ounce of prevention is really worth a pound of cure? So I, I don't know if it matters where we start, but what I would say is we have to start and we have to pick up these problems and do something with them this time. Thanks for your question, Marcy. Um, Craig, we have a question from Carrie Shear. Carrie, I'm gonna unmute you or you wanna unmute yourself? Unmute. Okay, did that work? Yeah. Okay, well, thank you so much for taking my question. I really appreciate it. I'm, uh, I'm an alum, I'll date myself, 1983, and U of M, and that's from the business school, and two more degrees. Uh, and as, uh, I will take a moment to say when I told my aunt, oh my God, I'm gonna be 40 years old when I finish my PhD. And she said, guess what? You're gonna be 40 anyway. Why don't you just be 40 with a PhD? So. Here I am. Um, my, I am a psychologist and work with both organizations and individuals. I have tried valiantly for many, many years to become one of your networked providers. And um, to say this is a challenging process is quite an understatement. Um, you, Blue Cross, are not alone because all virtually of the other large health networks in the state seem to follow the same practice of responding to virtually all, and I'm talking about thousands of therapists who have collectively discussed this and the leadership of all of the major mental health um, organizations, that's Minnesota Psychological Association, Association of Marriage and Family Therapists, and the social workers group have found the same phenomenon that our, our, our applications are met with the response of quote, we have too many providers in your zip code. And I do live in Minneapolis and I thought, well, what if I had a home office? I, I, my office currently is in Minnetonka, although at the moment it's in my living room, sadly. But um, it, you know, in Minnetonka is land of therapists. Uh, then I thought, well, guess what? You live in the city, Abbott Northwestern, forget it. You know, So I decided to open an outstate office where a good friend of mine lives in Laverne, Minnesota. And I actually just looked it up. The 2010 census said that the population is 4,745. And I was told there are too many therapists there. My friend is a nurse and has lived there for boy, almost 30 years. And she said, you can't find a therapist here, not to mention who wants to see a therapist who lives in, in Laverne and who you're going to bump into down the street. People would adore seeing you if you came here once a week, once every, even once a month, they would love it. And I got the same response. And I have applied numerous times. 
I'm just wondering if you can address that phenomenon and, and you know, if, if, if you can suggest anything and, and because I hear horror stories about people in the cities who call place after place and they can't get in and especially now. So long question, sorry, but thank no. you. No, I appreciate you calling in. I, I think the best way for me to very much answer the question, which I'd, very li I'd like to, is for you to send me an email, and this is for all of you, so feel free to send me an email if I can't get to your questions. Uh, it's craig.samit, S-A-M-I-T-T, at bluecrossmn.com, and send me an email, and I'll look into it yet today. Um, as I mentioned, our mission is to assure high-quality, accessible, affordable health care for all Minnesotans. So uh, some of your story doesn't make sense to me. Uh, so please send me the details and I'll look into it right away. And I would encourage any of the other, others of you who have an individual circumstance, please feel free to reach out. Hey, Mia, Thank there you. are any uh, urgent questions. There are lots of questions on the book <laughs> in the chat and, I, and, I'm, uh, and Craig has very kindly offered to sort of respond to all of you. So we will make sure that any questions that remain unanswered do get picked up and sent to Craig and uh, we will make sure that, uh, and so that, so uh, if your question is, hasn't been answered already, so please, um, you know, uh, rest assured that we will try and get them answered for you. So I just want to say that. And maybe at this point, I, you know, is, is there any, uh, Amy, are there others who uh, have their hands up? Is that maybe you can take one more question? Yes, I think we can do one more. We're getting asked also in the chat um, if we can send your email. So yes, we will send Craig's email in our chat. There will be a follow-up uh, email with our survey. So please fill that out, but we can also include that information as well. So Lori Larson. Lori, are you still there? I think, did I unmute? Yes. Yes, you did. Okay. Uh, my only question is on the ability to redesign from the inside out, what do you think the greatest barriers are that are interfering with the healthcare system being able to do that? I think it's us. Um, I think it's, I think we're our own worst enemy. I. Um, we use the expression, sorry for all my expressions, where there's a will, there's a way. Uh, I think there's a way. Um, and I think that, frankly, if you look around the country, there are many organizations that have innovated healthcare, and for some reason, those innovations don't spread. So we haven't been inventive, we haven't been brave, we haven't been risk takers, we haven't been bold, we haven't been as customer or patient centric as we should be. Um, and I, I think that we've been our own worst enemy that way. And, and frankly, it's, um, it's one of the things that I'm most proud of, of being at Blue Cross, because one of the real challenges with any healthcare organization is to convince it to go in a different direction, <laughs> especially uh, one that um, requires reinvention. Um, it, it requires a lot of, of, of bravery and inspiration uh, and enlightenment. And one of the things I'm proud of is I, I think that you will find um, several hundred or several thousand people in our organization that are believers uh, that we can do this and that we can change healthcare. And I think that's historically been the greatest barrier. We, we need to be willing 
to pursue a better future. Well, my question relates to the incentive is to not change financially. So I don't see what a few people can do when the incentives are so um, reverse of what it needs to be. And therefore there's no economic incentive to make a change. Well, and and it goes back to my comment about can we unify around a common purpose and unifying around a common purpose also means unifying around common incentives. Uh, What if we were all rewarded if people are well and safe and healthy? Um, And that's where the reward came for hospitals and doctors and health plans and pharma companies. Um, So I agree that incentives have to change. I've long been a believer in population health payments. that folks are rewarded when outcomes are better, service is better, access is better, um, and healthcare is safer and more affordable. And so I do think that we have to change incentives. And uh, yes, some of that change can come from the federal government, some can come from the state, but some can come from organizations like ours that reach out to systems and say, would you be amenable to a win-win relationship that is most importantly a win for the patient. And uh, the partnership that we forged with North uh, and that we have with Minnesota Oncology and in part with Mayo and others coming are very much aligned around an alignment of incentives. Uh, And so I think you're absolutely right. Um, But before you can get to aligned incentives, people need to be willing unless they're forced. And that's why I picked um, will as the first thing that I would pick. I think I would pick, in, pick incentives as my second. Thanks, Craig. That's, uh, you know, thank you for a very inspiring talk. I think it just reminds us of the need for collaborative efforts, for the need for to focus on the ultimately, who is it that we're trying to help? And, you know, your focus on the patient, I think is extremely important. Just as we in higher education, we try and you know, as long as you focus on the student, you come to the right answers. And I hope that the same thing happens with the healthcare system as well. Uh, of course, we've had some questions about how does the Amazon and Google uh, efforts, you know, will there be some kind of competitive disruption in this industry? And that can be an incentive as well as we go forward. But I'd look forward to continuing this conversation and hopefully we'll get you back when, you know, when, when the day after tomorrow happens to tell us if it's indeed happening the way we kind of hope it will happen. So thank you so much, Craig. This has been an extremely interesting uh, discussion. Well, that's it for this episode. Thanks to Dean Zahir and Craig Samet for the thoughtful conversation. You can find more information about this podcast, including previous episodes on our website, z.umn.edu slash boardroom. I'm Jamie Plusser from the Carlson School of Management. Thanks for listening.